welcome back to Jake's World, episode 56 of Jake's World. I'm your host, Jake Swinski, and today is Tuesday, February 2nd, Groundhog's Day. Um, obviously, like I said last week, I talked with one of my college buddies, uh, Paul Capetta. He is, um, a finance guy. I mean, he's known he's wanted to do something involved involving the financial markets, stock market. He's working in Chicago doing something along those lines right now. Works for a British company, I think, um, doing trading stuff. And he's pretty knowledgeable out of all the people I have access to talk to about this stuff. And uh, had a little chat with him about you know, everything going on with the short squeezes I alluded to last week. Um, we talked GameStop, AMC, um, Silver Squeeze, um, some of the older short squeezes as well, and some of the other happenings with that, uh, you know, with the financial markets today. Um, kept it a little bit lighter in the beginning and the end, too. Talked about the White Sox open it, and on, of course, we are both of Italian heritage, when, couldn't tell by my name, obviously Polish, but I'm half Italian, and we power ranked our favorite Italians, so <laughs> it's kind of fun, and uh, flip it over to that, but before I do get into that, today is Groundhog's Day, I used to be a Punxsutawney Phil Stan, I love that fucking stupid Groundhog. Such a cool name, Punxsutawney, so proper, high society type. Well, fuck him, him and his stupid fucking shadow. Fucking hate winter. Oh, oh, oh Punxsutawney Phil found his saw a statue this morning. Well, go fuck yourself, stupid glorified rat. I'm mad at you. I'm mad at you until the snow melts. <sighs> I'm an idiot. Okay, here's Paul. All right. Paul, how's it going, brother? Hi, uh, it's it's going well. It's been a little bit of crazy time. I think that's why I'm on this today. But I guess we've got some interesting things to talk about in the world. Um, how's it going with you? Um, I'm alive. Trying not to look at the portfolio tank at the moment, but sometimes that's just the way it is. Before we get into the finance talk, though, that is obviously why I brought you on because I don't know anyone else that I have access to to talk about this. Your White Sox are looking very, very good to start out 2021 season. Elaborate on that a little bit. Yeah, uh, it's been a long coming. Obviously, the, basically a full rebuild. Uh, I think a couple years back, they won 66 games. Uh, you're doing math, that's 96 losses in a year. That's pretty bad. Um, but obviously, they built up a farm system, done some great jobs, stopped signing players like Manny Ramirez and Kendrick <laughs> well past their prime. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's exciting to see. Um, some new names have came in with that as well. And, I mean, exciting to hopefully get to watch a good team play on the south side and not just get uh, – Embarrassed by our north side brethren. Yes, exactly. Sox 2021, right? That's been the prediction for how long now? Four years? 
uh, at least four years. We're sticking <laughs> with that. Um, we'll see if they can do it. We always have to compete with the billion-dollar team that the New York Yankees put together and, of course, the L.A. Dodgers. Yes, of course. Put some futures in on the White Sox for 2021. All right, let's get into it. Obviously, the last, I'd say, week, week and a half, two weeks of the stock market has been taken over by, you know, Wall Street bets, Reddit, and uh, the meme stock. So <laughs> break that down a little bit. What's kind of going on with GameStop and AMC and all these other um, – Short interest stocks. What do you see? Break that down a little bit. Sure. So um, easiest thing to say is basically there's a bunch of people that are buying GameStop. Buying it altogether creates the price to go up, causes short sellers to have to cover their prices, cover their shorts. When they cover their shorts, they have to buy back shares causing the price to go further up. This is what's called a short squeeze. Um, it's happened many times in the past. Uh, probably the most famous one was Volkswagen uh, circa 2007, uh, right before the financial crisis in 2008. Um, that's a big one. In reality, what ends up happening, and we already saw this today, uh, is that the short squeeze happens and then the price is returned back to normal. Obviously, not probably not obviously to everyone, but GameStop at its peak was had a market cap of roughly 25 billion, maybe 30 billion. Um, GameStop's probably not worth more than 100 million on paper. So uh, obviously a quite a big price dislocation. Um, if you bought at the top, I'm sorry. Not really, <laughs> but sorry. Um, <laughs> If you really thought GameStop was worth what's on my chart here, 480 a share, um, I suggest you do some more homework on, on what, what makes a company worth money. Um, best joke going around that I've seen is you ask someone, when's the last time you went in a GameStop? Usually the answer is the last time I was in a Sears. If you don't know, <laughs> Sears is no longer in existence. Probably say the same for Kmart. <laughs> Um, I mean, the same thing's happening with, with AMC as well. Um, AMC is probably a better story and I wish the media would focus a little bit more on it because this whole pump up of the AMC stock has pretty much allowed them to fund their operations to get through COVID. Um, as much as people like watching movies at home that that can keep AMC alive and hopefully there will be a movie theater in your local area to go back to once this is all over. So that's a good thing. Uh, American Airlines, same thing. A um, little bit different, though. American Airlines is a lot bigger company than GameStop or AMC. Um, Nokia has been involved in it as well. Nokia makes really shitty phones, um, usually used by the government and military applications. Um, don't know what that one was about. Probably the same thing. Um, and now they've, I believe they started to move to silver, uh, which second largest uh, commodity in the world behind gold as far as behind it, physical bullion dealers. Um, silver market, you're not going to move. Um, there's way too many world players in there, um, specifically Goldman Sachs and JP Morgan. I mean, 
those guys can out trade you and run circles around you all day. So trying to manipulate the silver market it would be a little bit tough. Um, be interesting to see what they did. There is talks that the silver market does get artificially held down by the banks. Um, don't think you're going to be able to break up their stronghold. Uh, they're pretty much uh, stuck in their position. Uh, they've already been deemed too big to fail once, and pretty much they are too big to fail. That's a topic for another day. Um, yeah. Now, um, you did mention the Volkswagen short squeeze from 2007 or mm -hmm. 2008. Um, we saw the same thing with Tilray uh, two or three years ago. It seems like mm -hmm. the cause of this short squeeze is a little bit different because maybe it's a little more widespread than, you know, those two little isolated incidents. Can you go into a little bit as of why this happened this time around and seemingly all at once? I mean, does the internet come into play? Um, you know, are there other factors that kind of pumped this one up so much more to make it, you know, so well known and so prevalent all at once? Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, that's an easy one. I mean, yes, the internet plays way more into it. Um, Reddit getting popular all of a sudden again um, goes in and out of favoritism. Uh, but it's being talked about on CNBC every day. So that gets widespread and then Twitter and Facebook and everybody's retweeting, talking about, oh, I'm buying GameStop here and I'm holding the line until it goes to the moon, as they like to say, which is <laughs> hilarious. Um, so, yeah, I mean, so the Internet's obviously making this way more popular. You have individual investors getting involved. Even with it just being widespread mass media with the Internet, um, you also have people at home. People are still working from home. They have a little bit more time now to potentially trade while they're working. Um, so in, they are trading more. Uh, seen as far as retail trading volumes and retail trading um, involvement in the market has pretty much skyrocketed since the beginning of COVID. Everybody's working from home. More people are involved in the market. Um, so that helps as well. Um, also, there's a lot of money just kind of out there. A lot yeah, of people with the, have a lot of cash. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, with the stimulus stuff, I was going to say, I mean, you mm -hmm. know, when the government's, you know, got um, unemployment insurance, I mean, typically it's, it was higher than it typically would be, you know, two stimulus packages. A lot of people need stuff to do with that money. So that makes sense. Um, I was going to ask yep. you next. Yeah, yeah. If, they're, if they're not gambling on sports, they're gambling yes. on the stock market. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And that kind of seems how, you know, the investor nowadays treats it because I don't know, maybe it's just an experience doing the trading. It was a replacement for, you know, the lack of sports from March to June. Could be something like that, you know, could just be, oh, fear of missing out. Could be something like that too. Now, um, something I do want to transition into, and this is a little bit more of an ethics thing about it. You do have a pretty staunch position on the market manipulation thing. And based on the talks we've had in our larger group chat between you and me, you're, you take a firm position on this market manipulation issue. Elaborate on that. 
Sure. Um, so you can't scream market manipulation is bad and the hedge funds are doing market manipulation while at the same time that you're manipulating the price of said market. So it's rather hypocritical to say the hedge funds are doing it if you start doing it. Now, the hedge funds do it on a larger scale and they do it pretty much all the time. And there's really not much that the regulators do, whether they should or not, um, like they should be because no one should have that type of edge in the market. Um, a lot of a lot of people that are in finance will talk about gaining an edge. And when they say that is basically they have a way to make money. Same thing is with your gambling. If you know a team really well, you know how they play. Well, you're going to have that some, or you think you have an edge um, when you're betting on a game that they're playing. Same thing goes with the market. People that know the market really well know what it's doing on a daily basis and have an idea of where it could be going in the next hour, in the next couple of days, next week. Those people are considered to have an edge. Um, a lot of times you'll hear traders talk about losing their edge. Um, different market factors can, can do that too. Um, but back to the market manipulation talk, um, hedge funds, obviously they manipulate markets all the time. Um, legally and illegally. Um, they're doing it on purpose um, for gains of their own and they're hurting others. That's typically bad. Um, and now if, let's say, Wall Street Bets is manipulating markets, hurting a hedge fund, really doing the same thing, whether you like it or not, even though we don't want to be on the side of the suits, as they like to say. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. And, and you could even go with the argument that, okay, well, these hedge funds have tons of money. So to give a very easy example, Melvin Capital was, was the big one that got hurt um, by the short squeeze of GameStop. Lost somewhere north of 40% on a year in a month of trading. Uh, January had 19 trading days in it. 40% uh, they lost somewhere north of... Um, don't quote me on it, but somewhere north of like 15 billion. Uh, you do 15 divided by nine, 19, they're, what do they lose in a day here? Probably somewhere north of $800 million a day. Um, it's pretty bad. Yeah, that's really bad. That was close. Yeah. Um, to put it into perspective there, Melvin Capital, since their inception in 2009, even after this drop, has an annualized return of 12%. It beats the market average of around 8% a year. So even despite this down drop, they still beat the market every year since they ran with an annualized return of 12%. That's how good these guys are and good these guys have been in the past at managing money. And they got beat one time and they were pretty wrong and they didn't manage their risk and they lost a bunch of money. Um, that can come in to basically anybody's trading. Um, but from the market manipulation standpoint, market manipulation is in general bad. Um, so don't think that you should be doing it whether you're for the people or for the suits, I'd say. Yeah, that's exactly it too. It seems like, you know, it, it's like the old adage, two wrongs don't make a right. Even though, mm -hmm. I mean, that 
saying does need to have some context with it because it does seem like the hedge funds have an unfair advantage and they do they're working with you know billions of dollars of capital in one sitting and they have the power to move a stock by using short interest or you know shorting shares and then you mentioned the rating agencies that's another huge component you know you have analysts at these agencies upgrade or downgrade a company is it favorable to that hedge funds position? Well, of course it is. They all know each other. So that's a good point. You brought up those rating agencies because I want to ask you, do you see a way that perhaps the way analysts rate these companies, you know, is it a buy or is it a hold or outperform or an outright sell? Is there a way that, you know, the government or the financial markets or the SEC can more fairly and accurately rate these companies or is this kind of how it's always going to be just because of the way the system works yeah um not necessarily rating agencies the analysts are, are with the large banks like Sachs um, and jp morgan yeah Sachs, yeah jp morgan um city all of all the major banks have teams of research analysts that put out research reports and price targets for these companies. Um, but those are looking at fundamentals. Um, when you start looking at fundamentals, if you bring that into it, I mean, you might as well throw GameStop out the window. There's, from a fundamental standpoint, you would never buy GameStop for $480. Never buy it at $90. Um, you just can't get to the value based on the amount of cash flow that they have. Um, people a lot of times they don't know this so they forget about this but at the end of the day the price of a stock is the present value of the future cash flows of the company it's a financial term for all the money that they'll make in the future you bring it to the present value by taking out things like inflation and interest bring it to now to what should be worth now that's the value investing that Buffett has made his billions off doing. It's typically how we view a what a stock should be worth. Um, but from the the analysts themselves, I mean, are they any smarter than the common person? Probably not. Do they have access to a lot of research and can they find a lot of data? Yeah, but so can you. So at the end of the day, if you're going to rely on these people for to make decisions about whether a stock should go up or down. I would be questioning, questioning that and ask you to maybe think for yourself too. At the same time, um, do your own research is probably the, the biggest thing that you'll learn. And the better that you get at doing your own research and the more you understand it yourself, um, the likely better that you understand the market and the better chances that you'll have at picking a, probably a, a good company that can potentially make you money. Okay. Two more financial related questions. This one might take a little while, but explain what happened last Thursday and Friday with the Robin Hood debacle and to, um, explain each side of it too. why it looks bad for, you know, the everyday mm -hmm. investor, but why it was a necessity for Robin Hood to cover their end. Sure. Um, yeah, this is, this is a probably the most 
this is the most interesting thing if you're in if you're in finance um, from of how brokers operate and how they work. Um, saw a number of Twitter threads about this really interesting stuff going on. Um, makes you wonder about the whole system as a whole too, um, which we briefly briefly touched on um, 2008. Um, we'll, we'll get there on, on why. We saw a glimpse of that last week. I think we're okay now. Um, so to really start with it, you have to one first understand how, when you trade a physical share, how it settles. Um, when you trade a share, when you buy or sell a share, it doesn't settle immediately. It doesn't settle on its same day. And by settle, that means that cash changes hands. Um, Shares change hands. Um, obviously, it's all electronic now, so it's not physical shares. So shares settle T plus two. T plus two stands for trade date plus two settlement days. This is probably the most archaic system, and quite frankly, I'm surprised it's still around. But when it first started off, um, what we would have to do is when the, a share changed hands, so someone purchased a share from someone else and they sold it, these brokers and the banks, they would have to basically go into their vault and find the shares, which is why it took T plus two days. Now everything's electronic. So does it really need to be settling two days later? No. Um, so that's the first thing. This trade settled T plus two days. So if I place a trade today, today's Tuesday, it settles on Thursday. Now, this system works great if markets don't move dramatically. And by markets, I mean the prices of these shares that you're selling on. So if GameStop moves a dollar or moves 50 cents in a day, fine. Usually the other side of the trade will still be willing to settle up on the trade they made two days previously for whatever, even though it might, the price may have changed by 50 cents or a dollar per share. The issue then becomes, well, what happens when stock changes by 100%? Or in the case of GameStop, it went up 1,000%, 1,000 plus percent up to the moon. Um, that's when it becomes becomes the issue now is now you have what's called settlement risk, is that the other side now may not want to be selling you those shares because prices change so dramatically um, and they don't want to give you the shares um, and so the trade that you did two days previously may just bust. So with that volatility, the clearinghouses that Robinhood uses now require them to, to keep a larger margin requirement um, on hand at the clearinghouse. So they have to put funds with the clearinghouse um, to basically settle their trades for them. Um, and they have to put that up on the trade date. When that started increasing, they started using more and more of Robinhood's capital. Um, and it basically got to the point where Robinhood needed to go get a loan from JP Morgan and Goldman Sachs. And then they even had to do it further and raise some money, raise just over a billion dollars from their investors. Uh, just to be able to meet and keep trading, meet their requirements as a firm on day-to-day -day capital wise um that started to create what i mean that's where you see cracks in the system there um and by cracks means well if 
Robin Hood can't come up with the money in time, which just can't happen in dire situations. And Robin Hood goes bust. There's larger implications to that. Um, when a large, when a broker even of that size goes bust, it could be pretty. There could be widespread effects. I believe the insurance is up to five hundred thousand um, dollars. It's provided by the government um, on that. Um, so five hundred thousand dollars, you'll get reimbursed. Um, government that takes time, but there's that's really the, that's really the story there, uh, and what happened. Um, and why Robin Hood basically started limiting trades. Um, they started limiting trades because they basically couldn't afford to do the business from a um, capital requirement standpoint. Um, the main thing with that is, is you have to understand how Robin Hood makes their money. They make their money off order flow. So they want you to trade as much as, as you'd like. And they want you to trade a lot keep trading and keep trading because they make money off the order flow. Every time you trade, they make money. So they don't want to do anything that would prevent them from making more money. So if they could let you trade GameStop, they would. Since they couldn't, they had to restrict it. And obviously that looked horrible from the retail investor standpoint. You don't understand why Robinhood has to do it. It basically looks like, oh, they're, they're trying to with Wall Street and prevent all the all the little guys from making money but in reality they're basically trying to save their own ass um, and basically protect their company from just vanishing into thin air um, but then again from a PR standpoint it looks horrible I mean you're restricting trading in the hottest stock probably that we've seen since probably Tesla uh, when it first started running up, when you had Elon Musk pissed, tweeting that he's taking Tesla private at 420 a share, right, one of my right. favorite tweets of all time. <laughs> um, that I mean, that type of thing. You had a, an enigma of a stock that was just everyone's mind. Everybody wanted to trade it, and now you're not letting us do it. Um, so it looked really terrible from their end. Um, They've obviously made it through. Uh, be interested to see their, their how their um, active clients change um, in the coming quarters and year here. Um, but I'm, I'm going to guess that a lot of the other brokers probably found some, got some of these old Robinhood traders that were just disgusted by this, and they moved over to some of the other brokers. Um, that feels extremely competitive. Everybody's basically dropped commissions to zero and everybody's fighting for every dollar that they can get. So um, did I answer all your questions there? I think I did. Yeah. I mean, in a nutshell, you said it wasn't so much as it looked like Robin Hood was siding with, you know, Wall Street and hedge funds. It was more of, we need to make sure that we can pay the money we owe for our order mm -hmm. flow. We can't at this rate. So we're going to restrict it. And you definitely hit it on the head. It does look terrible from a PR standpoint, but you're not going to have Robin Hood if they didn't do that. They wouldn't have been able to keep yeah. up at that pace. Okay, last finance question, and this is a tough one, but how long do you see this going on 
Because, I mean, we saw it already today. It unwinded a little bit. I think GameStop was down 100% at various times throughout the day. It was down a little more in after hours, I think. Um, How long do you see this, or how long is the unraveling period for this? Or does it change course? How long does that last? And what's what's after this? I mean, do you see this trend of, you know, people on the Internet or on Twitter or wherever – finding these short squeezes and trying to take advantage of it? Or do you see us going toward a little bit more of a normal market? Um, we've already started to go back towards the normal market. Um, definitely less trading. I haven't even looked at the volumes today that they did on GameStop. Um, they were probably large. Um, the thing to realize with GameStop right now is that it's a, it's a momentum stock and it's moving a ton. Um, Robinhood increased its per share. Uh, you can do a hundred shares um, of GameStop. Uh, now you can buy a hundred shares if you wanted to. Um, there's, there's bigger players in the market now that are playing with the stock. Um, I don't know if you watch some of the, the movement today in the stock was a little bit interesting. Um, it went down hit about 72, 79, somewhere in that range, um, dollars a share. Um, and it bounced back up to over 130. And there, I mean, without a doubt, there's there's large high-frequency trading firms that are just basically playing with the market at this point. Um, they want you to buy it when it goes, when you see it rallying back up, right, rally back up to 130 and close down below 100. Um, when it rallies back up like that, they bought on all the way up. And then what they start doing is when you when they start to see the new buyers come into the market, this is where the algos come into play, see the new buyers start to come in the market, and now they start selling. They sell all the way down until their position's gone, and then they run away with their profits for the day um, and go drink a whiskey on the rocks with their Manhattan buddies afterwards. <laughs> But yeah, as, as, how long this lasts? Um, probably let's say ninety, sixty oh, odd percent today. It falls another sixty percent tomorrow. Get thirty dollars lasting very long. Um, to be to be honest, retail traders don't have diamond hands. They don't have stone hands. They maybe have soggy. Uh, paper hands, to be quite frank. Um, if other than deep value, um, don't know if you you saw this one. This is the guy that bought uh, twelve dollar calls on GameStop before it started, um, and he bought average price of. Oh, I send you the text. Hold on. What is his average price? Average price on his shares are fourteen eighty nine. It's a nice little this guy return. was his share positions were yeah his shares positions were worth north of 50 million between his shares and options Jesus. Um, same guy lost 13 million dollars today yeah i'd so. i'd have soggy paper hands too that position would have been closed like as soon as that precipitous drop came take the money and run <laughs> yeah, exactly i mean you, you can retire on that you can Take half and go 
buy a house and live off that money for the rest of your life and then trade the remaining half and whatever you want to um, for the rest of your life. And that's what you do all day. Uh, that, I mean, that would be great. Um, don't know if it's more of a pride thing or to say he has diamond hands. Um, but when you lose 13 million on paper in a day um, with no visible signs that it's going to go back up um, despite craziness. Um, so, yeah, the unraveling, it's occurring. It's, it's going to happen. Um, comes back to, comes back to fundamentals at the end of the day. What's GameStop really worth? Probably not $90 a share. It's trading at six before. So you probably see it to return to there. Nothing's really changed in the last week as far as GameStop. It didn't revolutionize their business model. So there's no reason for it to actually go up. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you it went by the wayside, I feel like, just because everyone's attention is on all of these short squeeze stocks or the you know, the companies with, you know, Wall Street taking huge short positions on. Amazon, Microsoft, and Apple had record quarters. All blew them out. And Bezos stepped down today. I don't know if he's, you know, pursuing that SpaceX thing with tesla i don't know if they're in cahoots with that or they're working on he's working on something different but i mean what did they all three of them maybe two of the three posted hundred billion dollar revenue last quarter and it kind of just fell by the wayside so i don't know yeah they, they weren't talking about it i mean um we got some more of that today and we saw the market react positively um, to those earnings, because I mean, th- those companies are doing well. I mean, they're they benefit off of economies of scale, and they. Just, I mean, when you make a hundred billion a quarter, it's hard not to make a profit off that, a large profit at that one. I mean, I think Google and Amazon both beat their their bottom line estimates by well over fifty percent. Um, don't know who's making estimates for them, but I feel like they need to figure that out because it's pretty off. Um, but yeah. Yeah, that's crazy and definitely a strange time in our investing climate and, you know, kind of everything all together. Like you, like we both mentioned, like these have happened before and it just, like I said earlier, it seems like everything kind of just happened all at once. And I feel like part of that too is everybody being at home, everybody being a little bit bored, you know, looking at their phone all day. But all right, I did talk about this before. We did the interview today. We are going to power rank our favorite Italian characters because of our Italian heritage. I have a Polish last name, but it doesn't erase the fact that I'm half Italian. So we're going to do five, not a Mount Rushmore, just a one, two, three, four, five power ranking. I'll let you do the honors first. Favorite character of italian heritage go okay this one's this one's a tough one um definitely a lot uh, and probably going to take the the most easy out so i can think of my others while you go um favorite one has to be has to be tony soprano god damn um best tv show of all time um Probably the most Italian guy I've, I've ever seen yelling at his wife in his kitchen about the gabagool and whether that's there <laughs> in the fridge or not. 
<laughs> it's, um, it's funny. There's an yeah, internet de- account. Definitely has to be on there. It's funny because there's an internet uh, account called uh, like Tony's Gabagool. It's really funny. <laughs> oh, <laughs> what's my number one? Damn, I only got through like number one because I was like, oh, Tony. Um, I gotta go with your namesake. Same TV show, Polly Walnuts, Polly Gutierrez. Come on, I'm walking here. I'm walking here. Come on. He's got the wing tips, you know, that plush white whitish gray hair. Or you know, it's like all over the place. He always looks frazzled, then he mm-hmm. just like licks his hands, slicks back the sides, and the poly wingtips. Polly Gutierrez. That's my number one. Hmm. Paul is one of my favorite. Um, quick story about Polly Walnuts. I always got called Polly Walnuts as a kid, but my parents, my mom hated it because she didn't want me to join the mob. <laughs> <laughs> Don't blame her. But yeah. Yeah, definitely not. Um, number two for me. Mm-hmm. gotta be now these movie characters or can i do a, a real life person you could do a real life person as long as it's not julius caesar because he wasn't italian and don't say benito mussolini either he's off limits he's a very bad person yeah i'll try to avoid world war ii jokes um <laughs> gotta be it's gotta be joe dimaggio the the iron man oh joe and joe those yeah, for those who don't know, there's the statue of Joe DiMaggio, and like look up at the statue, and like this guy's the greatest, and you go have really good food and Italian ice on the corner. So, ooh, yeah. that sounds good. All right, my number two is Tommy DeVito from Goodfellas, played by mm-hmm. Joe Pesci, another fantastic Italian heritage person. But I'm a clown here to amuse you. So good. If you haven't seen Goodfellas, what are you doing with your life? But Tommy DeVito in that movie is just all gangster. He's like that short. He's got like the Napoleon syndrome, you know, super short, always hot-headed, got to prove himself, you know, all that. It's good. He's a good character. For sure. For sure. I'll, I'll follow you right up with another movie. Uh Best mob movie of all time. It's got to be Michael Corleone. Ah, that was my third one. Michael Corleone. Yes. He's the man. Um, it's, as long as you didn't say Fredo, right? Um, I got to go with the Don. Don Corleone. Vito. There you played go. by Marlon Brando and Robert De Niro in Godfather 1 and 2. I'm like racking my brain right now. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> this is great we've radio. Kept, we've kept it rather. We've we've kept it rather rather um, serious with our movies that, that these Italian actors or characters have been in. Um, but I've got to go with Vinny Gambini, also known <laughs> as Joe Pesci. That's a good one too. Oh man. That movie's Utes. so funny. <laughs> the two Utes. Two Utes. Oh, sorry. Utes. Oh, man. Another <laughs> Italian. Um, this one is not because of 
talent or um, prestige or honor or anything of real cultural significance. But this is only for namesake. And my number four is Daniel Gallinari. Daniel. 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 All the 2K games we played, the all-time rosters, just Daniel, baby. And he claps a 18-footer. Fucking love it. Daniel. <laughs> is it Daniel or Daniel? I don't even know how to say his real name. But Gallinari, that's the most important thing to take away from that. All right, Paul, your last one. Last one's got to be good. Um, I got mine. I, mean, I, don't, I don't even know if you, you call him Italian. Really, I believe he's technically Cuban in the movie. It's got to be Tony Montana. Uh, I think he is Cuban. We'll put an asterisk by that one because he acts Italian. He is Cuban, but he's, he's in the mob. Yeah, but he's acts Italian. He's a mob movie. I don't know. It'll be an honorary Italian. An honorary Italian? That's true. Um, this one's going to be um, – I'll do two because this first one doesn't count. But um, in Inglorious Bastards, I'll do the disguise that uh, the third guy picks, Dominic De Coco. <laughs> <laughs> Dominic De Coco. And then um, my actual fifth pick, um, what's his name? Er- Ernie Maricone or Ernie Maricone, uh, the director of the Spaghetti Westerns. Um, fistful of dollars for a few dollars more, okay, good, sure. bad, and the ugly. I love spaghetti westerns, and you can't say spaghetti westerns without saying the goat and that guy. So that is my fifth pick. Mm-hmm. All right, Paul. That was definitely fun. We covered all sorts of topics. We got our usual sports in, a lot of finance, and then some fun at the end. So it was nice talking to you. We should probably do this again soon, huh? Yeah. Sounds good. Got some bets to check, see how I'm doing, but. Go White Sox, all right? Go White Sox. White Sox 21. All right. Talk to you later, Paul. All right. Talk to you later. All right. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that interview with Paul Capetta. Um, I think he did a really good job of trying to keep it in simple terms because it's not always easy to do, especially with um, a lot of complexities in the stock market. I thought he did a really good job of explaining and answering some of the questions I had as well. I mean, it's important to answer those types of questions in a um, easy-to-understand way. I try to ask them in an easy-to-understand way, and I thought he did a pretty good job. So hopefully you guys learned something. That's always important, and that sums up today's show. Um, you guys can follow me on Snapchat, Twitter, and Instagram. Mix it up for you there. At Jake Sawinski 8, that's at J A K E S A W I N S K I 8. Have a good week, guys, and I will talk to you next time. Look at that, look at that.